Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. Today, we wrap up our summer sermon series. So far, our apologetic series has been in defense of questions brought before Christianity. Today, we go a little bit on the offensive with our apologetics, shining the light on the world. You're listening to Reason to Believe, Christianity and Radical Evil by Reverend Peter Yonker. We come to the very last of our sermons on apologetics, and uh, for this last sermon we go to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 1, and I'll be reading verses 21 through 28. And before I I do that, I want to show you something. Uh, Some of you know that, uh, like many people, we got a puppy uh, during COVID, and um, when you have a puppy, sometimes things happen. It's like when you have children, sometimes things happen. And... uh, Alas, this morning I got up to practice my sermon, and this is page two of my sermon. So if there are missing things, I will blame my dog. And it reminds me that um, when I was a kid and I heard the excuse about homework, a dog ate my homework, I always thought it was a bad excuse. Maybe I'm wrong. So uh, this is the last sermon in the apologetic series, and it's a little bit different. Up till now, most of our sermons have been um, answering questions from the outside. So we've been defending ourselves from doubts and questions from the outside or doubts and questions that we have. And that's great. But today, the apologetics uh, goes a little bit on the offensive. Now, we're going to question the world out there and talk about a way in which we think the Bible and our faith gives a better account of the world than sometimes the world does of itself. Now let's listen to the story of Jesus in Capernaum. They, that's Jesus and his disciples, went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and he began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching. He taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and then came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? a new teaching, and with authority. He even gives orders to the impure spirits, and they obey him. And news about Jesus spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want to start today by noticing an interesting dynamic in our society. On the one hand, our society is an increasingly secular Society. Our society is growing more and more secular. And what I mean by that, when, when people say things like that, what we mean is when we explain the world, we don't explain it in spiritual terms anymore. Secular people, when they explain what's going on in the world, when they look at events in the world and what causes them, the causes are people's choices and natural events. People's choices and natural events. That's what makes things happen in the world, in the secular mind. They don't make re- uh, the secular mind doesn't make reference to God or to spiritual forces. And, and that's sort of increasingly the trend of our society. I think that's 
I'm pretty clear, most people agree about that. And yet, even though our culture is increasingly secular, it keeps producing characters like the Joker. The Joker, I'm talking about that arch villain in the Batman comics and then in the Batman movies. Um, it's been played on the big screen by a variety of actors, but I think the most famous incarnation of the Joker was in Christopher Nolan's movie, The Dark Knight, when the Joker was played by Heath Ledger. And Heath Ledger's Joker is interesting because he's not like other villains. You know, most of the time in, in comic books or in movies, if you get a villain, a villain is someone who has an evil plan, okay? He wants to rob a bank and get lots of money. Or he wants to steal a secret weapon so he can rule the world, right? There's some sort of nefarious plan that the bad guy has. But the Joker, as Heath Ledger played him, um, was not a person with plans. He was just an agent of chaos. He just wanted the world to go crazy. He wanted to turn people against each other. He wanted Gotham City to become carnage. As Michael Caine's character, Alfred the Butler, said, there are some men who just want to watch the world burn. Here's how, in the movie, this is dialogue from the movie, here's how the Joker describes himself and his purposes. I introduce a little anarchy, upset the established order, and everything becomes chaos. I'm an agent of chaos. Do I really look like a guy with a plan? You know what I am? I'm a dog chasing cars. I wouldn't know what to do with one if I caught it. I just do things. No plan, no purpose, just chaos. You can explain the, the uh, Joker in biblical terms. If you think of Genesis 1, when God creates the world, what does God do when he creates? He takes chaos and turns it into order. There's the formless void, the world is formless and void, and out of that formless void, God makes his beautiful creation. The Joker wants to take that in reverse. He wants to go back to the void. He wants to go from order back to chaos, from light back to darkness. I think you will know that uh, the Joker, as Heath Ledger played him, was an enormously appealing character. People were horrified by him. They didn't like him, but they were fascinated by him. They, they couldn't look away. He stuck in the popular imagination. And I would like to argue that the reason the Joker gets created and why he was so much a part of the popular imagination is that the Joker, as a character, spoke to that part of our human nature that we have been suppressing. Secular society doesn't want to talk about spiritual things. The Joker was a character that spoke to spiritual things in its own weird way. It was the dark side of spiritual things, but the Joker was a character that made real the reality of evil in this world, in the spiritual realm. Not only does secular society not explain the world through spiritual things, the solutions for the troubles of the world that secular society offers are not spiritual. It, secular people, if you want to fix the world, what you do is you have smart thinking, hard work, and good policies. 
Smart thinking, hard work, good policies. That's what we got to exercise if we want to change the world. And, and those are good things. As a Christian, I'm all in favor of hard work, good policies, and clear thinking. We, we work on those things as Christians. But there are some problems in this world. There are some evils in this world that are so complicated that they cannot be fixed by policies and hard work and good ideas. There are malevolent forces in this world that cannot be overcome with diet and exercise and tax cuts or tax increases. We all sense this. Those of you who are old enough, remember how this whole country felt after 9-11? Remember how you felt? There's a sort of weight of dread. Dread at this horrible thing that we saw and dread at the weight of the hate that brought it about. And on commentators all over the world, not even ones who weren't particularly religious, their old language was inadequate to describe what they saw. And so you saw people turning to the language of evil. This is evil. Something dark, something malevolent. Or think of Sandy Hook. Do you remember how you felt after hearing about those 25 little children who were massacred? It happened on a Friday. And I remember because it was shortly thereafter on Sunday morning that I got up in front of my old congregation. And you looked out over the people and you could feel the weight of the horror of what they had seen. And it was a spiritual weight. There are malevolent forces out there in the world that go beyond the categories of regular explanation. And they're not just out in the world, they're in us. Have you ever been so angry that it sort of takes you over, that it almost possesses you? You're so angry that you do something or say something, you act in a way that later you look back on it and you say, oh my goodness, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I did that. Who is that? It's like something takes you over. Or have you ever struggled with really strong temptation? Addicts know what this is about, but I don't think it's only addicts. You struggle with this temptation so long that it, so strong that it keeps coming back to you and keeps coming back to you and keeps coming back to you, almost like it enslaves your mind. It has a hold on your mind. There's this force that goes beyond explanation and psychological categories. Our world has trouble explaining that whole realm of things that we can all feel and that we can all see. And here is where Scripture and the Christian worldview does a better job. Christianity can do a better job of both explaining where these things come from and offering a solution than the secular world can bring. Christianity can wrestle with these dark things, these malevolent things that we feel at the center of our universe. And you see that all through Scripture. In the Bible, when the Bible talks about sin, sin is not simply individual misdeeds, okay? Sin is not simply the times that you individually break the law. Sin is a force that can enslave you. You see that already in Genesis chapter 4 in the story of Cain and Abel. Remember how that went? So before Cain kills Abel, he's stewing in his juices. He's already bitter towards his brother. 
And God comes along to warn him before he does anything. And, and I don't know if you remember what God says. God says, Cain, why is your face so downcast? Watch out because sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you. Sin is something that crouches at your door and takes hold of you, a malevolent force. That's also how Paul talks about sin too, right? Sin is for Paul. It it is times when we commit individual acts of wrongdoing. But more than that, Paul uses the language of slavery. Sin can enslave you and you need to be liberated from it. Freed from the evil one. Colossians 1.13 is what it says. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, evil forces, and brought us into the kingdom of the one he loves. So it's a rescue from a force. That's how Paul characterizes Christ's overcoming of sin. Which finally brings us to our passage. In our story, we see that Jesus has come to confront this evil power, the power of the devil, and overcome it. Mark 1 is, is an interesting chapter. And if you read it from verse 21 to verse 39, what you will find is a day in the life of Jesus. And in the way that Mark puts his gospel together, it's the very first day of Jesus' public ministry. Uh, and he does it all in Capernaum. It's a Sabbath day. And commentators and people who study Mark think that that's probably on purpose. And what Mark is doing is showing you one day because everything Jesus does in that day shows you what is centrally important in his ministry. So everything Jesus does in that day will be the things that he does for the rest of his ministry long. And and you can see that. What does Jesus do? He gets up and proclaims the kingdom of God in a synagogue, preaching the kingdom of God central to Jesus' ministry. Jesus heals people on that first Sabbath day. He heals Peter's mother-in-law, and then he heals a whole bunch of people that evening. So healing, central to Jesus' ministry. And then thirdly, what does Jesus do? He casts out a demon from a man who has an impure spirit. He directly confronts this malevolent power. And he doesn't just do it in the synagogue service. If you read to in the, later in the, in, in the day, you see that that night people bring to him people with demons, and he heals them as well. He casts them out. This is central to Jesus' ministry. Even before he starts his public ministry, he confronts the evil one in the desert with his temptations. Chapter 1, verse 13. And once he does his public ministry, he doesn't just cast out a demon here in chapter 1. He does it in chapter 3, chapter 5, chapter 7, and chapter 9. In Mark chapter 6, When he sends out his disciples to do their ministry, he gives them power to cast out demons. Their job is to confront this malevolent force. And finally, you'll remember in Mark 8, when he rebukes Peter, Peter's trying to get him to avoid the cross. Jesus rebukes him, and he doesn't just rebuke him on normal terms, he rebukes him in a supernatural way. Get thee behind me, Satan. You don't have the things of God in mind, you have the things of man. Peter, what you're saying is, and you don't even realize it, it's the work of the evil one. There is this deep, dark force. It's also what the catechism says. Mike made reference to that earlier. Question and answer one. What is your only comfort in life and in death? 
that I am not my own, but belong body and soul and life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has cleaned up all my misdeeds. Wait a minute. No, that's not right. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and he's given me really good advice on how to live. Nope, that's not it either. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and set me free from the tyranny of the devil. If you're out there watching this sermon this morning and you're not a church person, and if your instincts, your way of looking at the world has been trained by secular institutions, all this talk of malevolent forces and the devil and diabolical forces, it's going to sound strange to you. But I want to appeal to you to say that this realm is real and you know it and our society knows it. It's not just in things like the Joker, in all sorts of places. Our society keeps turning to these stories of good versus evil, of light versus darkness. Think of the popularity of Harry Potter or Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings or all the Marvel series. All of these point to the spiritual dark and light, good and evil struggle that's going on in our world. And in your own soul, you know it. We all wrestle in a deep place with this sense that we are supposed to be a different kind of person. I have this feeling that there's more that I can be, that I'm supposed to be deeper, that I'm supposed to be better, but somehow I can't find my way to the person that I know I'm meant to be. I feel like I'm stuck. This is the central struggle of our lives, that soul struggle to become the people we know we're supposed to be but can't find. Who will rescue us from this struggle? Who will rescue us from this body of death? Thanks be to God, it's Jesus Christ our Lord. Gospel of Mark doesn't just show us the beginning of Jesus' struggle against these malevolent forces. It shows us the end of that struggle. On the cross, Jesus faces the evil one in his full power. In the creed we say, he descended into hell. He went right down into the heart of the devil's power. And in that place, evil thought it had won. Evil thought it had swallowed the Lord. Evil thought that it had taken control of the universe so that the whole world went dark. But on Sunday morning, the father raised the son from the dead and Jesus came out of the grave and with one hand he took the devil by the throat and gave him a mortal wound. With the other hand he took hold of us, his children, and promised to never let us go. Thanks be to God. As we face this struggle in our souls that we all know. Jesus is the one to whom we go. By his spirit, slowly, he is making us new creations. And every day, we turn to him to find help and hope and salvation in that spiritual realm. I want to close this sermon this morning with two things that accrue to us, two good things that result when we learn to see the world in this spiritual way. 
and when we learn, the rea we learn to admit the reality of evil forces out there in the world. First, it, it helps us to stay calm. We're not surprised when we see terrible things happen out there in the world. Because we know how dark or the evil forces are and we know what can happen in a human heart. And we know when our help comes from. So we're not shocked and we are able to stay calm when terrible things happen. Which leads to the second thing that is good about recognition of these forces and that is when we go out and we try to fight this evil and overcome it, we don't panic. Panic is one of the devil's oldest tools. And the panic is that we see terrible things out there in the world and we get panicked and, and we get desperate. And so in our attempt to, to right all the wrongs of the world and in our panic, we end up causing more evil even while we're trying to heal it, to fight it. We're like drowning swimmers. I don't know um, if they still do this, but when I took swimming lessons, they told me, never try to rescue someone who's drowning and flailing in the water because as you get close to them, in their panic, they might grab you and drag you down with them, throw them a life ring or something like that. So the drowning person is flailing because he wants life, but in his flailing, he ends up bringing death. His flailing is intended for life, but it brings death. And this is so like what happens to Christians when they think it's up to them to fix all the problems of the world. And they start flailing and they do wild things. It's like Peter cutting off the ear of the high priest's servant and causing more misery instead of good. Colossians 1 verse 11 gives us a sense of the true posture we have in the face of evil. I read earlier Colossians 1.13 which said that Jesus had rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the one he loves. And right before that, in verse 11, it gives a sense of the posture you have when you know that Jesus has overcome the power of evil. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so knowing that you've won the victory, may you have great endurance and patience. Great endurance and patience. Not flailing. Not going out there and sort of wildly swinging, trying to make things right in desperation. Great endurance and patience. Knowing that Christ has already won. Knowing that the victory is his. Knowing that the ark of sanctification is long. We go out and we fight evil patiently, with faith, hope, and love, knowing that Christ will make all things new. Thanks be to God for the victory we have in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Lord, I thank you for the hope of the gospel. Every day we turn on our televisions in the morning or we look at the problems that we face in our families and in our lives and we sometimes feel overwhelmed and we feel panicked. Thank you that here in this place we can come back to your word and find your victory and your hope in our resting place. Lord, send us out into the world as agents of your love and your peace and your change. Help us to do it in the spirit of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.